Father, we thank you for removing my flesh, speaking your truth through me. Bless your people here this morning as you always do. In Jesus' name, let church say, amen. Focus, focus, focus. Focus, focus, focus. What are we to focus on? Anybody been down that and met that little fork in the road? Just me? All right, cool. Just want to make sure that I wasn't the only sinner in the church here this morning. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's figure out what we're supposed to focus on. And a lot of times I grew up in a church that uh, that that really made me focus on my obedience, made me focus on what I needed to do, what I wasn't doing enough of. And uh, I kind of wanted to share um, a message with you this morning that the Lord put on my heart because I've just counseled quite a, a number of people that have struggled with this. Uh, I was one that... I'd be lying if I say I still didn't struggle with this. Amen? It, it's it's something that's hard to receive, but it's the truth. And, and that's where our focus needs to be. So let's go right into it. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through him, that's Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. Uh, we have received, right? We're not trying to receive it. The Bible says we have it. We have favor. We have the grace of God for apostleship. That means for to go out, right? And, and to go out for the obedience of faith. What in the world is the obedience of faith? Because we've been told, man, it, it, that, that we have to obey. We have to obey. We have to obey. And I want to tell you that Paul says in Romans chapter 1, which, by the way, if you don't know, Romans, the book of Romans is the most fundamental book that you can read as a new believer. And, and, and you have to read it because in the, in the first chapter, He's going to tell you this, that it's obedience to the faith. And in the last chapter, he says the same thing. Obedience to the faith. Not your obedience, but his obedience. And you'll see that in just a second. So what is obedience to the faith? That means that you have to understand that there's a new covenant. That we're not under the old covenant anymore. We're in a new covenant. And the new covenant says it's obedience to faith. You are righteous by faith. That's obedience to the faith. That means Paul's saying, hey, stop trying to be righteous in your effort and start receiving the fact that someone made you righteous. Jesus, that's the, he is the gift of righteousness. And you can't please God. Jesus said you can't get to him unless you go through me. Well, what does that mean? That means you've got to understand who he is. He is your righteousness. You can't do right in order to get to God anymore. Because you, you, you never could, Amen. The law was perfect. No one could keep it. So Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. He's the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Do you believe? If you believe that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, you stand righteous in God's sight. Not because of what you do, but because of what was done for you. Amen? So obedience to the faith is you got to believe that you got to believe that it's not your actions anymore, that it's all about Jesus. That's what Paul calls obedience to the faith. Check this out, Daniel chapter 9. Very good prophecy, big prophecy about Jesus. Look what it says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That's talking about Jesus. He did that. He came in. 
He made an end to sin. You know how? He paid for it. When you couldn't, he did it. He paid for sin. He, he reconciled us back to God the Father. And he brought in what? Everlasting righteousness. In other words, this is a righteousness that you can't sin away. You can't just get rid of it by your sin. Most people believe, hey, the moment I commit sin, I'm out of fellowship with God. That cannot be. Because it goes against everything Scripture says. We have an everlasting righteousness. Your sin is not greater than the Savior. What he did is much more. What he did is everlasting. You can't be in fellowship by what you do. That's the old covenant. You can never lose fellowship with God, the Father. The only thing you can do is in your mind you can lose fellowship because you don't go to him anymore. When he's, he's always there, he doesn't leave you. You leave him. But he's always there. And so when you come back, guess what? Does he come back and say, hey, where you been? I haven't seen you in a week. No, he wraps his arms around you. You know why? Because it's an unconditional love that he loves you with. And sometimes on this earth, we don't understand that because we all have fathers that weren't there for us. And my, at some point in time, yes, no, you tell me. My father wasn't always there. God is not like that. We cannot put that on God. We have to understand he's always there. He will never leave you. We heard that three times already. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Is, it is there a tagline to that? Is it because if you obey? No, there's not. It's just who he is. He loves you right where you are. And that's a good thing for us. Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Because of what Adam did, many were made sinners. In fact, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? That's what the Bible says. So we, we are all sinners because of what Adam did. So also by one man's obedience, remember obedience to the faith? By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's what Christ did for us. Christ made us righteous. Adam made us sinners. Christ came in, the Bible calls him the second Adam, and made us right. He made us right by his obedience, not by ours. We can't do it. So stop trying to do it. Start resting in what was done for you. And in fact, when you do that, you'll become more productive for the kingdom. You will produce more fruit for the kingdom when you rest there. But how many of you guys know that in heaven, man, Adam's going to have a big mansion? He is. And it's going to be heavily guarded. Because there's going to be a lot of people when they get to heaven, they're going to be like, hey, yo, where's Adam's house? Right? All the women are going to be looking for Eve. Eve, what were you thinking? Right? That's not true. 2 Corinthians 10, spiritual warfare. There's books written about it. There's classes given on it. Spiritual warfare, I'm going to tell you what spirit, the bottom line, according to context, what spiritual warfare is all about. Look at this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What is a stronghold? <laughs> stronghold is when you wrestle with it here, right? You're wrestling with it. You're, you're, you're caught up in something, maybe some bad teaching, bad philosophy, bad doctrine that you may have had before, right? Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought 
into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, some of your versions might say in your Bible, to obey Christ. That is a bad version. Because in the original Greek, it says to the obedience of Christ. It's his obedience. Like you bring every captive in the... So when the devil comes on you, man, and he gets up in your mind, maybe you don't even need the devil to do that. Maybe you do it. Amen? You get up in your mind, you say, man, I just failed. <laughs> God doesn't want to use me right now. You know, whether or not... It used to be whether or not... Um, like if I, if I felt like I was okay in church, that I had a pretty good morning, I could pray over people. But if I didn't, maybe I, I got in an argument on the way to church with my wife. Really? Man, we need counseling, babe. Oh, it does. Okay, good. So I'm not the only one. Dang. Y'all getting to where y'all leave a brother hanging up there and people... Visitors going to be like, man, that pastor is messed up right there, boy. I need some help. So I, it, whether or not, like if you came to me and asked me for prayer, it depended on my actions. It, it depended because like, I didn't want to lay hands on somebody because if I, if, I if I was sinning, I might kill them. And, and I knew I couldn't do anything, right? So it was all about me and my actions, man. But honestly, once I figured out, it has nothing to do with me. It's all about what Christ did for me. It was his obedience. I can never obey in and of myself. I can try my hardest. Paul said, man, I, I tried like crazy. But the more I tried not to covet, the more I coveted. So the more you try to put it on yourself, what can I do? I, I, how can I help you? No, nah, man, it's not about you. It's about what Christ did. He, his obedience. And he's in you. He will give you the words to say. He'll give you the action steps. He'll give you the next steps. He knows all that stuff. It's only our job, our role, is to obey by faith and walk it out by faith. Not try to overthink it and overcomplicate it. Christ will give you everything you need to accomplish what he wants to get done. Do you agree? Sometimes he might even send a whale to give you a ride. Yeah? I knew you were going to say that. I was like, as soon as I said that, she's going to say it. All right, so focus on his obedience that made you righteous because the devil wants you to focus on your obedience. He wants you to look at yourself and say, hey, you just failed. There's no way you can pray over somebody. You just failed. There's no way you can stand up and talk to somebody. I said three cuss words in a matter of 30 seconds yesterday. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just telling you. I'm no different than you. So, so. So the devil get up and do it, man, you better call Dwayne and have him preach tomorrow. You, you have guys ever gone through something like that? Yeah, I think one, two, two. Debbie, you really? <laughs> oh, because she lives with him? Yeah. Yeah. I get it now. <laughs> but seriously, isn't that? Isn't that, the, the, that's just, it's not the truth, I won't say it's the truth, but it happens, right? We, 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 we judge what we can do for God based on what we have done. And, and man, that's not by faith. That, that's doing it based on your, your righteousness. You will never be righteous in what you do. You will be righteous in what was done for you. In fact, you are righteous right now for what was done for you. Stop looking at your own failures and start looking to your Savior. 
is the good news. Self-righteousness is the mother of all sin. It happened in the garden. You remember when Satan said this, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. What is the problem with this statement? Problem is they were already like God. God said, let us create man in our image. They were created in God's image. They had everything they ever could ask for. Everything was given to them. God said he, the Bible says he made the garden and put man in it. Like he put man in the finished work. I always wanted to do that. And I always prayed that somebody would answer. Because that, that would look really dumb if I did this. And people like, But God, God put man, he created everything, gave him everything they could ever want, and put man right in the middle of it. They were already like God. But here's the thing, in the flesh, they wanted to be like God based on their own efforts. So what did they do? They ate. It was based on their own performance. Look, we may be like God, but I want to be like God based on what I do. So what did they do? They ate. They ate. They took it in their own hands, right? Check this out, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves covering. When you see nakedness in the Bible, it always is a picture of sin. They knew that they were naked. Before, they were covered with a globe of the glory of God. Now they had sin, and they knew they were naked. So what they do? Self-righteousness. They tried to clothe themselves in what? Fig leaves. That's the first time in Scripture you see fig leaves, yes? So they tried to cover themselves in fig leaves, and God said, that ain't going to do. That self-righteousness ain't going to do. Blood's going to have to happen. There's going to have to be some bloodshed. So what happens? Same, same chapter, verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. How in the world do you get tunics of skin? Somebody had to die. Blood had to be shed. So the fact that they tried to cover their own sin with fig leaves based on something they could sew together, God said that's not going to do it. It's going to take blood. An innocent animal is going to have to die for you. Right? So look at this in Matthew 21. This makes sense now to me. Never made sense before, but now I see it. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Nothing on it but leaves. So it's a, it's a tree that had the appearance of giving fruit, but it had no fruit. I'm going to start doing that at home. <laughs> no, I ain't. See, God just gave me wisdom. Right in front of you. So it is a, a tree that had the appearance of producing fruit, but it had no fruit. So, so he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree wither away. I'm like, how can a loving God who created everything curse a fig tree that didn't do anything? Whenever you ask questions like that, you got to know there's a deeper meaning to it. Amen? There's got to be a deeper Why would Jesus curse a fig tree? A tree. And, and it's, it's actually the first fig. It's, the se it's not even in season yet. How are you going to punish a tree? The tree's fall. It's not even season time yet, right? Had the leaves, but it hadn't had the first fig on it. Jesus cursed it. Why? If you keep reading the context, Jesus was cursing self-righteousness. A fig tree represented self-righteousness back in the garden. Amen? So look at this. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, 
if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, self-righteousness, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Now this verse, this, this last verse here is always preached, man. You got to have faith. You can move mountains. You can cast in the sea. Whatever you speak will happen. But in the context, man, you have got to remove self-righteousness, and then you can move your mountains by faith. And that's what Jesus was doing to the fig tree. He cursed it because it looked like it was producing fruit, but it wasn't. So get rid of that self-righteousness and now just start speaking by faith and you'll be able to move mountains. You can't do it if you're doing it based on your own performance. Like Adam and Eve, you can't. So, Bible says in Galatians 3.12, yet the law is not of faith. Remember, you can move it by faith, but the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. You can't just break one law and keep nine and be like, I'm fine. That ain't the way it works. You can keep nine, break one, you broke all of them. That's what the Bible says. James says that, amen? Says it right here too, man. You got to live by them. If you're going to walk by them, you got to live by them. You're going to tell other people they got to do it, you got to do it. And then guess what happens? Everybody knows you can't do it, so everybody starts judging one another. And then we start classifying sins. Misdemeanor, felony sin, right? Sin is sin. Would you agree? Do you think God classifies sin? No, but that religious people do because we start judging each other based on performance instead of judging each other based on the righteousness of Jesus. We got to see everybody that's in Christ as equal to us, that we are all righteous in God's eyes. Amen? For sin shall not, say not, not have dominion over you for, why? Because you keep the law? That's the way it was taught to me. You want to get rid of sin? You got to obey God. You got to you got to read your Bible every day. You got to fast three times a week. You 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 got to do all this stuff. Well, the Bible says that sin will not will lose its dominance over you when you understand that you're under grace and not under law. That that, that everything you need's been done for you. And that you will be able to do things for the Lord because you're at rest understanding his grace. But the more you try to do stuff, the more you're going to fail. You're going to feel like a failure. And you're going to feel like you can't be used by God. Like, you better know I, I understand grace. Maybe not fully, but I do understand or else I would not be right here right now speaking to you this morning. He would be. What? Well, he'd have probably told me no. <laughs> you are going to speak. Because <laughs> that's the man he is, man. He's an encourager. Amen? But the Lord did it to me. He's so good. Isn't he so good? Mm. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Think about that. The strength of sin. The power of sin is the law. Could it be any more clear cut, people? I never heard that. I never saw it like that. I always thought, man, the, the, more, I, the more I break the law, the more I sin, right, the more God's going to turn his back on me. And, and therefore, I would try to stop breaking the law. And the more I tried to stop breaking the law, guess what? The more I broke it. And then you get to the point where you're fine, like you just give up. You say, what? what? I'm tired of trying. I, don't, I can't do it. And if I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. 
You just run from church. You run from the Lord because you can't do it. Listen, I've been there. Who's been there? Testify. Raise your hand. Yeah. You, you get so tired of trying, you just give up. But yet the Bible tells us it's exact. The, the good news is that, man, once you understand that the strength of law is the, the strength of sin is in the law. Paul said, like I told you earlier, the more I tried to not covet, the more I coveted. So this is very interesting that the strength of sin is the law. Do you guys remember the golden calf in the Old Testament? When did the golden calf come in? That's the question. Because God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He brought them out, divided the Red Sea, and the people were like, hey, Moses, you bring us out here to die? We should have just stayed back there. Because guess who was on their butt? Who was on his butt? The Egyptians. What did they have? Weapons. They had, it was like an army was coming at them. But they also had a bunch of other stuff. Gold and silver right? And they're all, they got their best stuff on. You, this is amazing because the, the Israelites are in fear. Look at them. They're looking at the Red Sea here. They're trapped. God causes the Red Sea to part. They walk through on dry land. Huge miracle. People are like, can you imagine? Anytime I go to an aquarium, I'm looking at those big walls. I'm like, this, is, this must be what it felt like. Y'all do that? You will now. <laughs> You'll be like, hey, Right? So, so there was a huge miracle. They get to the other side, and and now, now here comes here comes the the, the Egyptians. They're coming down too on the dry ground. They're looking back. The, 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 uh, millions of Jews are looking back. They, they they're like, man, we're about to die. What does God do? Closes it up. That's another reason why I run through aquariums. I'm like, I'm like, I ain't gonna be closed up in this mug, boy. <laughs> You see Noah up there banging on the glass. I say, stop. Stop playing. <laughs> oh, man. I've seen those movies. I don't want to be that guy. Where was I? So they're looking. They're looking. What does God do? He closes it up. And guess what? The Bible specifically says this. The, the, the Israelis were able to, the Jewish people were able to go in and collect all the gold and silver. So they had all this gold and silver on them. Amen? They had it on them the whole time. They get out in the desert, and, 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 and they don't have any food to eat. They complain to, to Moses, God brought us out here to die. We have no food to eat. What does God do? Sends down manna. Tastes like cake. Sends it down all over the place. They didn't have to go out and get it. It was right in their door of their tent. No golden calf. They had the gold. No golden calf. Next thing you see, they're in the desert. They have nothing to drink. There's no water anywhere. God tells Moses, hey, strike the rock. What happens? Water flows. Yeah? They get, they get refreshed. It's a beautiful miracle. They were complaining. Did God hammer them? No. He gave them manna. Did God hammer them when they're thirsty? No. He gave them water. Nobody died, even though they were complaining. Complaining is a sin. No golden calf. But then they get to Mount Sinai. Look at this. Exodus 19. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God wanted to make them all priests and a holy nation. That was what God wanted to do. No one died from the time they came out of Egypt to this point right here. No one died. Even though they sinned, even though they complained, you can't find in Scripture that anyone died. Because God loved them. And even though they were complaining against Him, 
even though they saw these great miracles, they're still complaining. It's not enough. But still, God says, I want to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which, by the way, we are right now. That's who we are. Right? Uh, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now in the Hebrew, when it says we will do, it says we are well able to do. It's like Moses, you tell God whatever he needs, we're able to do it. You know what? The very next verse, God says, tell the people to back up. His attitude changed like that. Because he, they didn't see him as the one that got them through all that. They didn't see him as the one that provided. They thought they did it based on what they did. Meanwhile, they were complaining the whole time. God's like, really? You can do it. You've done such a great job of it. Okay? This is what's going to happen. The Big Ten. Guess what happened when the Big Ten were given? They made a golden calf. They broke the first commandment. But why? Because they were under law now. And that's why the Bible says this, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The moment the law was given, they broke the very first one. They made a golden calf. But they, they had the gold all along. They never thought about building a golden calf until the law was given. Thou shalt not have any gods before me. Very first one, golden calf. Isn't that amazing? The strength of sin is the law. The moment you hear the law, the strength of sin is empowered. That's why when you go to a church and they, and they start telling you, you got to keep the law, you got to do this, you, get, you, you can't covet, you, you, you can't. Yeah, we know all this, but man, they'll hammer you with that stuff. I didn't hear one law of scripture when I came in this morning. It was like, God is good. God is for you. God will make it work for you. That's what I heard. But if I heard, hey, can't have any gods. Your house is your God. Maybe that's what God's trying to tell you. Man, you're right. Maybe that's what, maybe he doesn't want me to have that house. It, it, honestly, it sounds so stupid, but that's what I heard growing up. That maybe God doesn't want you to have all that stuff. Maybe you need to sell all you have and give it to the Lord. Be homeless, but you'll be a good Christian. <laughs> sign me up. What did I sign? Isn't that amazing, though? They, they had the gold the whole time. It never crossed their mind to, to build a calf until the law was given. That verse is so important. So important to understand. Check this out. God does not want you to mix grace with law. A lot of people say, hey, Pastor Troy, Pastor Dwayne, man, they, they preach a lot of grace. But, man, they also got to preach some truth with that. They got to give you some law. You can't just preach grace, 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 because people will sin all the time. I'm like, you people sin in your church, fool? Well, yeah, they do. Are you preaching grace? No, nah, we preach both. Let's check out Revelation. Okay, I know your works. He's talking to a church. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is God. Now, I grew up thinking, hey, man, you can't be a lukewarm Christian. You got to be all for God. You can't be part world and part God. I just realized I was dancing. Right? You can't, you can't, you can't do it. That's not what this is saying. This is saying you can't be holding on to the old covenant and still believing in the new covenant. You can't have a mixture. 
God doesn't want you to. Jesus said you can't put old wine in the new wine skins because it'll burst. You can't put the old covenant in the new covenant. It won't work. The new covenant is all about Jesus. The old covenant was all about what you have to do. And you can't put them together. Mixture is deadly in the eyes of the Lord. We're almost done. Luke 18. Two stories. Luke 18, Luke 19. Back to back. I want to show you the difference. Now a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now the Christian thing for Jesus was to say, what should Jesus have said? Hey, just believe on me. That's all you got to do. Believe on me. That's what he said to other people. Why is he different with this guy, right? What shall I do? Jesus knew. He came to him with the law, and so he gave him law. This is If you're coming to me with the law, this is what you got to do, right? Uh, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. See, he knew the rich young ruler came to him. What shall I do? He's like, well, you know the commandments. Uh, he said, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. I got this. Does it remind you of the people in Exodus? I'm, I'm well able to do all that. I've always done that. Right? Whenever you bring the law to Jesus, Jesus will be like, so, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You bring the law to Jesus, he's going to say you still lack one thing. The law will always make you lack one thing. You know what that is? Jesus. You can come to him saying, hey, I did all this, I did all this, but still have no relationship with him. Right? You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. That's what was preached to me right there, just that last portion. Man, you don't need that house. God's trying to shut you up out that house. He's trying to Get you out of that house. That house is your God. Anybody hear that before? Yeah. They get it from here, but they're taking it out of context. That man came to Jesus with the law. What must I do? Look what I've done. Jesus says, hey, man, you still lack one thing. He knew that that stuff was important to that guy because he brought him the law. But look at the very next chapter, chapter 19, a guy named Zacchaeus. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, uh, who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich, just like the rich young ruler. He was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short in statue. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And he sought to see who Jesus was. He sought to see the other guys sought to see the teacher he sought to see who jesus was he wanted to see who jesus was right not the teacher who jesus was yeshua the savior right uh and, but could not because of the crowd he was short so so he ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way and when jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him and said to him zacchaeus make haste and come down for today i must stay at your house and so he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. He's a tax collector. But when they saw it, they all complained. This is what religious people do. They all complain saying, he has gone to be with a, with, be a guest with a man who is a sinner. 
What kind of logic is that? Religious people see other people as sinners. But they check the boxes. God sees them all as sinners. This man, yes, he was a he was a sinner, but Jesus came to him. Jesus loves being around sinners, people. He loves it. Hey, if we shut ourselves in, what good are we? If we just focus on, man, the people need to hear the love of God. They see, they will know Jesus by the love that you have for them. In fact, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, he said, look, Lord, I give half of all my, of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. We are heirs with Abraham. We're heirs with believing Abraham. That's who we are. Salvation has come to our houses. And I love the fact that, that, that the rich young ruler brought the law to Jesus and Jesus gave him the law back and he walked away and gave nothing. But Jesus showed this brother grace and he gave everything. Fourfold. Isn't that beautiful? Grace will free you up to become a giver. The law will make you struggle. You'll be stingy with it. I know a lot of I know some people that are uh, that that sit under the law, and man, they they are they're tight. But free people freely give. Amen. I've seen it this week. It's unbelievable. Romans four. We only got a couple words. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. How you guys know that God justifies the ungodly? Ungodly. That's good news. His faith is accounted for righteousness not his deeds not his works his faith is accounted for righteousness just as david also described the blessedness of the man who to whom god imputes righteousness apart from works god imputes righteousness you know why our sin was imputed to jesus god imputes his righteousness to us did jesus deserve all of our sin no but he got it do we deserve all of God's righteousness? No, but we got it. It was a divine exchange, right? Uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now that shall not is a double negative. Never, ever, never, ever. Yes, thank you, Ms. Lynn, thank you. It's a double negative. It's, it's ume, literally. Shall never, ever, never. Shall never, ever, never. Shall never, ever, never, ever. Shall never, ever, ever, never, ever. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will never, ever, ever impute sin. You know who that is? That's us. David saw a generation where there would be a Savior, where there would be a Messiah who would forgive you of all your trespasses. All your sins are forgiven and will never remember them again. David saw that generation. He was under law. David was, there was consequence after consequence after consequence because he didn't obey. But you know what? Even when you fail today, even when you fail today, God still brings his blessings on you. And it's because it's not about you. It's about what Jesus did for you. And you're like, well, that ain't fair. I need to be given what, <laughs> you be careful. <laughs> and be like, God, no, nah, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. That's why it's called grace. Grace is something you don't deserve. Grace is something you can't earn. It's freely given to you. 
beautiful. Just the last one. Hebrews 10, 2, right? For then would there not have ceased to be offered, right? The, the sacrifice, the bulls and goats, they would have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. Listen, the, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. Because every year there was a reminder of sins. Every single year, John Kippur is a reminder of sins. But this says that, that if those sacrifices would have worked, the worshipers would have had no more consciousness of sin. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Anybody know what happens in Hebrews chapter 11? It's called the Hall of Faith, right? You got all these people in the Hall of Faith. But I want to show you that they don't have a consciousness of their failures. God doesn't even see their failures. Every single person in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, all you see is God talk about the good stuff. You never see one time where they failed, even though they all failed. You never see it. You know why? Because God doesn't remember their transgressions. That's what he says in Hebrews 10 too. You, you keep reading down. He says, I will remember their transgressions no more. And another double egg negative. Beautiful. Look at this. I put this in there. It's not in, it's not in your bulletin, but these are the last two verses. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the people which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Man, that's a, that's a righteous man right there. He went out by faith. He obeyed when the God. That's not true. He did not obey. You know why? Because in the original story, God told him to go by himself. Don't take anyone with you. You know who he brought? Lot. Who brought a lot of trouble. Does God mention that there? Nope. He doesn't. Look at Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Really? Because in the original story, what did she do? She laughed at God. She's like, you going to make that old joker? Give me a baby? Look at him. Right? She laughed. She doubted God. But do you see it here? Nope. You know why? Because God doesn't remember your transgressions. God doesn't remember where you failed them. Only God thing, the only thing, the only thing God remembers is that Christ died for you. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. And you know what? The devil wants you to focus. He wants you to hold on to, to your failures. He wants you to see where you failed God so he can get you to a point where you can't be used by God. But sometimes the greatest things that happen in the kingdom of God is when someone who has just failed rises up and speaks by faith and stuff happens. You know why? Because then it's not that person. It's God speaking through that person as a vessel. And people can see that brother and say, or sister and say, man, I know they're not perfect. Can anybody attest to that in here? Y'all look at me and go, <laughs> you do? Wow. I didn't know there would be that many. That's a good thing, amen. If I fail and you can see my failures, you can hear my failures sometimes up here, and you can know that God can use me, he is no, listen, no respecter of persons. He'll use everybody that way. In fact, when everybody gets on that train and understands that it's his obedience, not ours, man, you'll start to see things happen across this world that will change this world. Because we're not focused on what we do and where we fail. God does not remember your failures. Anybody fail today, this morning? Anybody fail yesterday? Guess what? God doesn't remember them. 
God sees you covered by the blood of Jesus. God sees you as righteous right where you stand. You are justified by that faith. And that's where God wants your mind. That's where that spiritual warfare is. So what do you focus on? You focus on his obedience that made you righteous. Not on your obedience. Not on your own righteousness. Because to God, it's like a filthy rag. Literally, that's what the Bible says. But realize that everything that you need has been given to you, including your righteousness, your holiness, all those things that people will tell you you got to go and attain, they're already yours in the person of Jesus. As the pastor said earlier, you have everything you need that pertains to this life. The Bible says, not the future life, this life. Everything you need is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So consider yourself in Christ righteous. God does not look at your sins anymore. That's good news, amen? Stand up and give Jesus a hand. Stand up and let him know. Let him know that you are so thankful for that gift of righteousness. If it wasn't for the gift of righteousness, we might as well not even show up. We might as well not even attend anything. Because that gift of righteousness gave us the ability, the power to be able to come here and meet together. Otherwise, we all disqualify. But he has qualified us. We are qualified by his blood. So focus, church, focus on his obedience, not yours. The more you focus on yours this week, today, when you leave, if you start focusing on where you failed, that's where your mind will go. You'll go down that rabbit hole. That's not, take those thoughts captive. Nip them in the bud to the obedience of Jesus. Amen? All right, listen, the way we're going to close out is the pastor's going to come up and pray over you. Receive it by saying amen. He, play, he prays the truth over you, scripture over you. And, and just all you got to do is say amen, receive it. I almost made it. Siri, Siri got me. If you don't know who Jesus is, man, you're in this room, please see me, Pastor Dwayne. It will pray a prayer over you. It, we're not going to remember your sins. We don't go through your sins. Hey, you know, the Bible says, you, did you grow up thinking that you had to confess your sin in order to be saved? Right? It doesn't say that in the Bible, does it? The ABCs, right? Accept, believe, and confess. Well, the C is not in Scripture. We don't confess. We confess Jesus, the Bible says. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You shall be saved. Nowhere does it say confess your sin. Paul, if that was such a big deal, don't you think Paul would mention that? Nowhere in Paul's letters does he mention confessing sin. Nowhere. But yet that's all we hear. You got to confess your sin. No, you confess your sin one time by saying, hey, I need Jesus. You confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Savior from what? Your sin. That's the C. The C is wrapped up in the A. I got the gooses right there. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, sorry. If you don't know Jesus... <laughs> Let me, or Pastor Dwayne, you might want to let him pray over you. It'll be faster. Let him pray over you. If you got a prayer request, man, find one of us at the church. We'll pray with you, and, and we'll just speak life into you. And yes, I can pray for you now because I feel so good. I feel so good. All right, Pastor Dwayne. Or, yeah. I just wanted to remind people, we, we do believe in prayer. And uh, just as Dennis said, he shared his need with people uh, that he knew would pray for him. Um, I just want to remind you, we, every bulletin, we have all these, these prayers in, uh, in our little box here. And if you need prayer, 
I, I, one of the things I always say is you can never get too many prayers or give too many prayers. And so if you share your prayer request with me through this email address right here, um, we send it out to everybody and you get lots more prayers. Uh, and so don't be afraid to share your needs. Um, and, you know, we are glad to pray with you because we believe in prayers. Come on, let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to just uh, just hear your word today, God. We thank you for allowing your word to fall upon our hearts, Lord, and in our minds, even by way of reminder, Father, reminding us of uh, the word that you've already spoken over our, our lives and into our hearts, God. And we just thank you, Lord, for being so faithful and being so good, and for being a God that loves us uh, through it all, Father. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have received already. Father, for sins, Lord, we thank you that Jesus himself took upon all of our sins upon himself, Lord, and you punished sin in his body so that you don't have to punish him in ours. So, Father, we are so grateful for that. We're so thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to just be reminded of the obedience of Christ. It was he and he alone that came and fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, Father, because he knew, you knew, that we could not do it. And so, Father, we thank you for all the provision that you've made with us through Jesus, Father. And so we thank you for the victory that we receive for every situation, every circumstance, Father. You make all things work together for our good. We thank you, Father, again, for equipping us and strengthening us with this word today, Father. We ask, God, that you will order our steps, lead us to those, Father, that need to hear this word, Father. Thank you for giving us the ability and the opportunity, Father, to share the good news, the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. And we bless you and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. We are dismissed.